what is the reality TV show that really kicked off the phenomenon known as reality TV? Oh man, Survivor. Do you know that's on season 35? And you think that's the one that kicked it all off? Yes. Why? Well, real world really kicked that's it off. That's right, the real world. Did you watch the real world? I saw episodes, but it was too risque for me. <laughs> really? Is that true? But I was a, I was a kid that grew up, we were, you weren't allowed to watch Simpsons and Married with Children. It's a real world, definitely off limit. So in 1992, there's this brand new TV show that comes on and it's called The Real World and it was on MTV. And like immediately I was taken with this premise, this idea of all of these strangers from all over the country moving into one household, living together and the tape rolling and just seeing what was going to happen. Yeah, and reality TV is legendary for putting different demographics, different interests, different people with different likes and dislikes and passions and talents and they just stir the pot. They love stirring the pot to see what conflict will emerge. And it's amazing how quick that conflict emerges. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. Today's episode, where the gospel meets community. And I'm here today with my friend Lachlan because we have been friends for many years. This is true. And just based on that alone means that we have had a good deal of conflict. So our stories today are going to be about that. They're going to be about the conflict that arises between us as Christians and in community. We're going to take you behind the scenes into the homes of some of our Love That Neighborhood team members. Now, these folks have moved from all over the country to live in community with one another. And just like the reality TV show, The Real World, we're going to find out what happens when Christians stop being polite and start getting real. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. So there was an article that came out in the Gospel Coalition last month, and it revealed the number one reason that missionaries leave the field. What, what do you think the number one reason is that missionaries leave the field? All indications of this conversation is that it's conflict. Yeah, it's totally conflict, but it's not just conflict with anybody. So it's not persecution. It's not financial conflict. It's not even logistics related to the mission work they're doing. It's conflict with other Christians. which is absolutely in direct contrast to what Christ has called us to. You might remember in John 17 when Jesus gathers his disciples and he's giving his final words and he prays what we call the high priestly prayer. And he prays this, that they, his followers, may all be one. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The way the world's going to believe in Jesus is by the unity that Christians have with one another. So what's the problem? Why are so many Christians failing to get along? One of the biggest dynamics in missions that we're blinded to is how pragmatic it is. This is Zach Bradley. Zach has worked in missions since graduating college. And when he says pragmatic, he means taking the things that he believes and actually putting them into practice, putting them into action. It's all about action. Get out there and share the gospel. Get out there and make things happen. And there's so much of that that's true and important. But at the same time, if it's just purely pragmatism, it leaves uh, the soul quite empty. Zach believes the hard work of missions and the living in community with other Christians, it's intertwined. You can't do one without the other. But he didn't always think this way. When he spent two years serving with missionaries in Africa, he had a different mindset. 
And that was to be the next Apostle Paul. And my definition of the Apostle Paul at that point was that he was a Lone Ranger who spun all over the world doing whatever he wanted. And I want to be able to just jump from country to country and share the gospel and be persecuted and be this Navy SEAL Christian that people will marvel over for years to come when they read books about me and all that stuff. A pretty noble ambition. So you can imagine Zach's surprise when one of the missionaries he'd been working with told him, We're not going to be focused pragmatically on going out and sharing the gospel, and that's it. But this missionary also said, like, we're going to invest in one another. We're going to do life together. We're going to meet regularly for worship and for praying for one another. And we're going to make decisions together as a team rather than individually. In other words, spend just as much, if not more, time and energy with his fellow missionaries and getting to know them as he did in going out to the villages and sharing the gospel. And he thought this approach completely missed the point. This is invasive, and it seems to be a distraction from what's best. And so to think about taking time to invest in my teammate who was very different from me and taking time to let people speak into my life felt like a bit of a waste. And Zach's experience is not uncommon. We get into Christian community and it turns out to be nothing like we expected. People don't reach out to us or they reach out too much and get all up in our business. And when we get frustrated because people aren't like us, we don't know what to do. Man, I'll tell you what, when we first got to the field, there were days I wanted to kill him. I'm so frustrated at you that I can't even be in the same room. What do Christians do with that? We don't know other than to stuff it down or to get really upset and part ways. Which is why so many missionaries are leaving the field over conflict. Now, thankfully, Zach did not leave Africa. He stuck it out with his team and came away a pretty big advocate for investing in Christian community. Missions is more than just what God wants to do through you. It's also what he wants to do in you. What I learned most was that I need God and I need others. One of the reasons we are so uncomfortable with Christian community is because it exposes us. Sometimes we think as Christians that we're somehow exempt to how life has affected us. And it's true, we are a new creation in Christ, but it doesn't mean that we don't have junk in our past that we need to deal with. Do you know who's really good at figuring out what's on the inside of people? Reality television show producers. You know, when somebody goes to be on a reality television show, they go through tons of questionnaires, they go through tons of interviews, and the producers are going back through their family history, their parent history, their relationship history, their sibling history, their legal history. They're tracing the story of this person's life so that they can truly understand them. But what happens when we get in community? That stuff all comes to the surface, which is exactly what happened to a guy named Aaron Atkins. Everything that was repeated in my childhood memory, like that was starting to replay in my head. Aaron came to serve for a year with Love That Neighborhood. Love That Neighborhood, we offer social justice internships supported by Christian community. And Aaron wanted to use his gifts of graphic design and kids ministry to make an impact for the gospel. And during his year, he found out that he would be living with two other teammates. I was excited to live with them because I I like living with people and uh, just excited because it's like you get to hang out with the people that you're going to also be serving with. Becoming best friends with the folks you live with and also doing ministry with? What could be better? But what Aaron wasn't expecting was having to relive his childhood. The first day we met, like, we talked about bunk beds. We argued about a bunk bed for almost an hour about whether or not we should have a bunk bed in our room. That's one of Aaron's roommates. They've just moved into the apartment they'll be sharing, and someone brings up the idea of getting a bunk bed for the bedroom to save space. Both his teammates say yes, but Aaron says no. And it was more of a joke at first, but like then I really just did not want a bunk bed in the 
bedroom and just thought that would not be great. And for some reason, Aaron can't let it go. And his roommates continue to argue. It was like so much tension, but we were like all trying to suppress it. Plus my parents were there too. Their first impression is like, these guys are going to argue the whole year. Eight people talking about a bunk bed and talking about having this, you know, this problem. And so... Even though it wasn't necessarily a problem. <laughs> well, you know... Well, you every, guys have made it a problem. Every, well, everything's a problem to well, you, Aaron. No, it's... What, <laughs> no! No, this isn't... They always do this. They put it all on me. Hold up for a second, Jesse. How much longer are we doing this thing? Because I feel uncomfortable. I wonder if the listeners feel uncomfortable. But this feels like a very tense situation that I do not want to put myself in. I know, because we hate conflict. For some of us, it just makes us so uncomfortable when conflict happens. But here's the thing, is that while for some of us, when this kind of arguing is going on, we want to retreat, for Aaron, this kind of fighting was actually his normal. I overreact and, like, I am pretty loud. Like, it's just passionate. Like, I'm trying to really fix whatever's going on, and I'm really just aggressive with, like, how I'm coming off. And this became a common theme in their relationship. And the constant arguing, it was hurting his team's ministry opportunities. But it shuts down, like, the doors to, like, okay, well, now we're not in ministry mode anymore. Like, we're not going to try to reach out to our neighbors right now. Like, we need to fix this problem. How often do we hear a young person say, when I start college, it's going to be a fresh start? Or when I date so-and-so, it's going to be a fresh start? Or when I go into the mission field, fresh start? But in reality, we need to be cognizant of the patterns that started long before college or mission field. Yeah, the truth is this. We all learned how to relate to other people from somewhere. And there's no way to escape the fact that the way that I relate is the way that I relate. And when we come back, we're going to learn where Aaron, myself and where every single one of our listeners learned it. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Daisy Cooper from Florence, Alabama. I experienced Christian community by serving for a year with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. And today's episode, Where the Gospel Meets Community. Right now we're hearing from Aaron, and Aaron is doing a social justice internship through Love That Neighborhood. Aaron's moved here, he's living in community with two other guys, and right now it's not exactly an ideal picture of Christian community. And when relationships are off, our ministry is off. So how do we experience real Christian community, the kind that Jesus says will tell the world we belong to him? Well, it starts with our relational patterns. And to explore this, Aaron agreed to sit down with us and share some about his life. I was bullied a lot. Like, I was in many fights. Some fights, it's like, I'm not really in the fight. It's more like I was just hit and, like, beat. I didn't see the point in talking about it at home. So it was just because it felt like it was going to be my fault that I was hurt. I just felt weak and, like, I felt like there was no point in trying to explain. Aaron was bullied at school. But home didn't feel much safer to him either. Home was just a place where you could get hurt. Um, And sometimes, like, people throw things, or you get hit, or you get smacked in the head, or, like, it's like, dang, you actually just hit me, and you're still yelling at me, and you're getting mad that I'm, like, crying or upset or, like, angry. There was no winning or, like, no way out. Over and over, the message Aaron received growing up was this. You're weak, and you're wrong. 
I didn't have a voice um, growing up. I felt like if we disagreed with something, we'd get yelled at for how we were wrong. No one wants to continue to be wrong. Like they want to be right in some regard. And the way Aaron tried to be right was to be aggressive. When I would stand up for myself at home or like at school, like I could match the energy or like just yell louder, like just yell louder, just hit harder, like, and that's how you'll get what you want. So here's this guy who growing up learned the way relationships work is to fight. And you put him in close quarters with other guys who learned different relational patterns, some of which was to be passive, some of which was to be aggressive, some of which was to manipulate. You put him in a room and what do you get? What you get is that scene we heard earlier, three grown men spending hours fighting over a bunk bed. Which I would pay mad money to binge watch this reality TV show, like an entire series of that. But this is a ministry and not a reality TV show. Yeah, like Aaron is here to do ministry and like he doesn't want to be known as the guy that fights with everybody. He acknowledges that he doesn't want to do things the way that his family did. He doesn't like his relational patterns. I don't want to be seen as a negative person. That reminds me too much of my childhood. But this stuff gets so ingrained in us at an early age. It's stuff that we can't run from, we can't hide from. So the question becomes, so what? Well, listen, the bottom line is this. The entire Great Commission is at risk because we are failing to realize that what we've experienced as children is affecting the way we as adults relate to each other now. Where do we go from here? Well, we can't be loved without being known. And being known means being vulnerable, and vulnerability is risky, but it's a risk that's worth taking. We have to let folks in. And for Ifama, another Love That Neighborhood team member, the way she ended up letting folks in, it was not neat and it was not pretty. In fact, it was anything but that. Ifama also served for a year with Love That Neighborhood, and she lived with four other ladies during that year. We were all from different states. We all came from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We all came from different, you know, ways that we became Christians. And during their year together, there was the usual tension here and there. But eventually, Fama began to express some misunderstanding with the girls. She started thinking she was different from them, which in some sense was true. She was the only African-American in her household. Well, this posture of always feeling misunderstood started causing some tension in the house. And then the day came which the ladies fondly refer to as the incident. I am dying to understand what the incident is. Ifama was taking the bus on her way home from her service site. This is the place where Ifama did ministry for an entire year interning. She was later than usual leaving her site and her bus, well, it was also running late. I guess I wasn't really communicating it well to my roommates that I was going to be late. So... In my mind, I was just like, oh my goodness. Just being late wasn't that big a deal, but the ladies all took turns cooking dinners each week. And it just so happened that tonight was Ifama's night to cook, which meant there were four hungry teammates waiting for her to get home. They were not happy. And neither was Ifama. She had had a long, hard day at her service site, and she was hoping for some empathy. So when I came home, I wanted to feel concerned for by my roommates asking me, like, I'm sorry, you're late. Like, But that's not how her roommates responded. They ended up cooking dinner themselves because Ifama never told them where she was or when she would be getting home. They were pretty upset with her. And then my roommates who were expecting me, they wanted me to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. Like, thank you for what they're doing, like started cooking for me. So you have people who are looking for affirmation in one another but are so caught up in their anger that they're not going to give it. 
Like, I'm not going to say, oh, thank you for cooking for me when I felt like you don't care about me because I'm late. You're not going to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry you're late when you don't when you think I don't care about you because I'm late. And then everything just exploded. And then that's when kind of all hell broke loose. It turned into yelling, Yahtzee yelling, lots of inappropriate words. You know, they're yelling the F word at each other. Sentences like, don't you call yourself one of my effing sisters in Christ because you're not. So it's this weird mixture of like violence and gospel sort of getting intertwined with each other. I was yelling because I was mad and I felt people did not care about me. Free Fama, she'd grown up in a family where yelling was a normal occurrence. So when a fight breaks out, she's ready to put up her dukes and join in. But one of her teammates responds to conflict very differently. Like the moment that people were frustrated that Ifama was at home in time, my anxiety was already starting. For this teammate, because of what she had experienced as a kid, when conflict arises in her mind, it means something terrible is about to happen and her anxiety skyrockets. I don't want, I just don't want to be here for it. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Breathe find a way to disappear, almost. I remember at some point I was in the kitchen and I was like almost hiding behind the fridge. My physical body was still present, but I emotionally didn't want to be there. So she's like off in the corner, like you got these two teammates screaming at each other. You've got one in the middle, like trying to break them up. And then another one's just like laying in a bed, ignoring the whole thing. It was a hot mess. And my idea of safety was crumbling because they weren't reacting the way I expected. It wasn't safe. Well, eventually, the one teammate can't be in the environment anymore. She goes outside to escape, and the other girls follow. The girls that were involved, they ended up going outside for a little bit. They went and sat on the front porch, one to help themselves cool down, but two to give Ifama some space to cool down as well. And then I was like, where are they at? So I ended up going downstairs, like creep on them. And then I'm like, oh, so they're having a little powwow without me. That infuriated me because I'm like, again, they don't care about how I feel they're just going to comfort one another. And I was just kind of over it. I'm like, I don't care anymore. If I'm a distance herself from the whole thing. And the next day went to work like nothing happened. So what happened? So I'm, I'm the executive director. I get this phone call and the phone call is to inform me that they had had this huge argument as a household and that Ifama had not come home the night before, that they were not speaking to one another. I begin to reach out to different team members one by one. Some are pretending like nothing happened. Some of them are saying it was World War III. I can't get any kind of consensus. So I asked them all to come to a mandatory meeting at my office. It was a time where everyone can kind of explain what happened. A group of us were sitting down and I just was having to talk to myself about like, you're going to have to assert yourself. You're going to have to say what actually happened. You're going to have to go places that you don't want to go. And I remember thinking like, is it worth it? I really questioned Ifama, like, is she worth it? So as we continue to give space for everybody to talk, suddenly Ifama shares something that no one was expecting. Stay with us. Hi, this is Spencer from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I took part in Christian community by serving for a summer with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today.
Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. And today's episode, Where the Gospel Meets Community. So Ifama and her teammates have just had an explosive argument. I have called a mandatory meeting and so far it is not going well. I know that I was saying hurtful things to one teammate in particular. I was like, you know, will you forgive me? And then she was like, I can't forgive you right now. Like she she said that. And Ifama's body language is just as cold as can be. Arms crossed, legs crossed, eyes staring at the ground. One person on the team looks at Ifama and goes, I don't care how mad you are. You have to come home with us. We can fight and you can be as angry as you want to be, but come home and fight with us because your place is with us. Very quietly, like these tears start rolling down Ifama's face and she starts trying to say something. And it's, it's like she can't get the words out, almost like she's choking on them. It's like something is buried so deep inside of her that, that she can't even quite access it. And she says these words and it's like this, it's like this guttural cry. She ends up like forcing these words out from inside of her and she says the following. She says, I have no memories of ever being held as a child. And Ifama just weeps in front of us. It wasn't until that moment when she let us in and let us actually see who she was and the ways that she really hurt, that was when we could actually love her. And to this day, it was the greatest single moment as the director of this organization that I've ever personally been able to experience. Because where Ifama was before, the walls that she had built to protect herself were so profound and strong and doing their job of keeping her at a distance. And I was able to witness the love of God just completely obliterate those walls as she let those ladies in. You know, for the first time, I, I really felt cared for by friends. They gave her an anchor, the reminder from her Christian sisters, no matter what happens, you still have the anchor. And that's, you're home with us. And when it gets down to it, it's all centered on Christ. We have that anchor of Christ. And here's the thing, when we say things like that anchor is Christ, if we're honest, a lot of times we mean that in a really abstract way, very much distinct from other people around us. But scripture tells us that the people around us, other believers, they are the body of Christ, which means that when other Christians love us and when we love other Christians and when other Christians let us into their lives and we let them into our lives, into those tender spots and those hard spots and the parts where we're wounded and the parts where we're struggling and the parts that we are still dreaming about life in, that is to let Christ in as well. And Ifama continued to let Christ in through these friendships. So the one roommate who had struggles with anxiety, the one that was retreating during the fight, well, she and Ifama actually ended up becoming such good friends that they ended up choosing to live together at the end of their time in the program. For one thing, like there's your family, but then there's like your family, like the people that choose to be your family. You're not just born there. And it's not perfect by any means, but I think for her, like we became that place. And one of the other roommates, the one that Ifama fought with the most throughout the year, well, about a year after the program ended, that roommate ended up getting married. And guess who was standing by her side as her maid of honor? One of the girls that we were constantly butting heads. Like, I felt she talked down to me. She felt I was rude. I didn't care for her. We were so different. But I ended up being, you know, her maid of honor in her wedding. And that's just like, okay. 
no one would have guessed I'm standing beside her on her wedding day. I always hear the phrase in reference to the church, the beautiful mess. And I've always loved that phrase because in reality, that is what we are. And if done right, it can point us to Jesus and we can become healthier Christians and better witnesses to the world if we deal with that beautiful mess. Yeah, I think that if if we as Christians can get to a place where we actually look at conflict as a valuable thing, instead of it being something that is bad for us, we look at it and we go, no, conflict can be really good for us because it's in conflict that change happens. It's in conflict that we're transformed. It's in conflict that there's opportunities for us to sacrifice for one another, to love one another. You know, love is woven of sacrifice and that requires conflict. If I get hit, I feel the urge to like hit back. So Aaron's learned that just because he's done things a certain way for so many years, it doesn't mean that he always has to make the same decision next time it comes around. So one evening, Aaron and his teammates are in the apartment and one of his teammates kicks him. It's not hard, it's not to be mean, just playfully, a little bro bonding, but Aaron does not take it well. It was triggering things. I was just like, I am about to like snap. Without knowing Aaron's background, you would never know that this little action, this little point of contact, it actually creates a pretty strong and automatic response in him. If I really, really wanted to, like I could start a fight right now. And like, he kicked me again and I was like, okay, like really stop. And he's like, well, just get away from me. I was like, you, like, I'm not doing anything. Like I'm just standing here. Suddenly Aaron was becoming that kid again, who's bullied at school and got bullied at home. And all those experiences had told him, if you don't want to be weak, then get bigger, get louder, get more aggressive. I know they're doing this for fun, but like, if I start, like, I mean, I really will hurt you. Like, anything could happen, you know? But living in community had helped Aaron realize something. That getting louder and hitting harder to solve conflict, it had never really worked very well in his family. And it didn't really work very well for him either. That was a turning point to, like, say that I wasn't going to keep being aggressive or try to be bigger. And what could have turned into another fight for Aaron instead turned into a moment where he chose not to. I got kicked one more time and I was like, okay, 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 okay. I'm just going to go to bed. He laid on his bed and chose to work on keeping his cool instead. Slowly, Aaron is deconstructing his relational patterns and building new ones. I guess that was really neat to see that, like, you didn't have to get bigger to, like, prove a point. He and his roommates also were able to start a soccer league together for kids in the neighborhood where they live and a boy's Bible study for kids that remind him a lot of himself when he was that age. I want kids to have a good experience and know that that affects them into their adult life. I want to help out as much as I can with their development. I would rather show that like people do care for them and that they have people that they can count on. In the past, so much of Aaron's life was based on mistrust. He didn't know who he could trust. Could he trust his friends? Could he trust his family? Could he trust himself? But this new way of living, where he's begun to experience genuine love and grace from other Christian brothers, that's given him a place where he feels safe enough that he can trust. God was placing me here for a lot of different reasons. Um, So I've been happy to serve, but I've also just gained a lot of spiritual growth since being here. Since being here, I see that God cares a lot more deeply than I ever could have imagined. Okay, Lachlan, when you were a young guy, if you had told people that you wanted to go into full-time ministry, where would they have told you you needed to go? Seminary. Absolutely, they would have told you seminary. So I was with this older pastor recently who was near retirement, and what he told me was this. He said, when I was a young man, 
I told people that I wanted to go into ministry. And the first thing that they did is they sent me off to seminary and they pumped me full of good doctrine. And he said what they should have done was put me around a table and taught me to love the other people. So often what we want to believe is that if we just have good enough doctrine that we're going to be able to go out and preach a great, grand, beautiful gospel. But the truth is that the gospel that we experience is the gospel that we preach. If we want to go out into the world and we want to be able to preach a full, robust gospel, a gospel that invites us to come to God as we are and not as we should be, well, then that requires us to have friendships where we're allowed to be as we are and not always as we should be. Because it's only when we begin to experience grace in our relationships that we truly deeply believe that maybe, just maybe, God's grace is a real thing too. To get more resources on this topic or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, you can visit our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Special thank you to our interviewees for this episode, Zach Bradley, Aaron Atkins, and Ifama Nwachuku. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host today is the one and only Lachlan Coffey. Lachlan is doing fantastic work in podcasting over at Harbor Media with his partner in crime, Mike Cosper, who you heard back on our first episode. So definitely want to encourage all of our listeners, head over to harbormedia.com and check out all of their podcasts. Our producer, technical director, and editor is Rachel Zabo. Additional editing by Anna Tran. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Poddington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and Wooden Axle. Apply for your social... I hate the phrase social justice. It's so hard to say. <laughs> Apply for your social justice internship. Say it without trying to say it. Just oh, okay. casually say it first. Apply for your social justice. It's so hard. It's so hard. Okay, this is what my friend is trying to say. He's trying to tell you, apply for your social justice internship supported by Christian Community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Yes, what he said. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need, the one who showed mercy? Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. <laughs> <laughs>